welcome to the Bloke and a Bird show. Wait, it's a very special Bloke and a Bird show. As long as it's not a very special blossom, because we're done with those. No, it's not a very special blossom, but it's a very special bloke, bird, and a boy show. Ah, uh, yes, we have an extra. We have a special visitor this week who will be chiming in at some point. Yes, he brings his own story about Formula One. So we are back from our drought of formula one before we go into the next drought of formula one but unfortunately you can't really talk about this weekend without again reflecting on uh the loss of jules bianchi uh obviously the entire grid the entire pit lane is a bit more somber this week it is when we were reporting his uh passing last week it was literally a day old um, in the in the next week, in the following seven days, he's had his funeral. Um, his family has started the mourning process. We've learned a little bit more about some of the relationships between Bianchi and the other members of the grid. And I don't think that we ever get that peeled back look of the grid like you do when you deal with a tragedy. Um, I don't think I ever realized, I mean, I knew he was in the Young Driver program for Ferrari, but I didn't realize how close friends he was with Fernando Alonso and particularly Felipe Massa. Yes. Um, It's not just, though, how close friends he is, but overall how much, you know, all we see is the competition. Right. And the rivalries, but what's What you really don't realize as a fan without actually being in the paddock and associating with them is how much and and how frequently those rivalries end at the track. And the family feeling and the friendship that is very, very deep amongst the drivers. I mean, they, they fight hard, they play hard, and they love each other a lot. Yeah. Well, you know, it it is in many ways a very close-knit group. There's not a lot of folks who get to make it to that level and to associate with these folks. And they're seeing each other in many cases, you know, 20, 30 times a year at a minimum. And they're, they're very close to each other and they're doing these events with each other. And they see each other grow and develop across the track. I I love the interview with Massa talking about uh, Jules Bianchi being one of the best kart drivers he had ever seen. And apparently he saw Jules because it turns out Felipe Massa happens to have a go-kart track at his house in Brazil. Um, I'm I'm waiting for my invitation. (laughs) Because seriously, Felipe... I would totally go to Brazil to see your go-kart track and uh, drive around on it for a little while. But a, a lot of the, the reflection I heard this week was about how Jules was kind of this big brother to the folks coming up from the junior formulas. Uh, apparently, he spent a lot of time uh, coaching and interacting with the folks over at GP2. And apparently, and I don't recall the exact name of, of who it was, but he served as the mechanic for somebody in karting on a fairly regular basis. That's so cool. <laughs> he, the impression you get, and we, like I said, you just don't see some of these things until they peel back the curtain a little bit on who they who they are. Yeah, behind the beyond the wheel, I guess. Um, 
the picture of Jules that I got to see this past week was of a man who loved his sport, who gave wholeheartedly to everything that he did. And someone that really cared about promoting and moving the sport forward. And then the other piece that we saw over and over again was how the grid has lost a potential world champion. Um, that he outdrove the car. The, the points from Marusha that he got were stunning and awesome. But the picture that one of the commentators gave of the him in the um, motorhome of Marusha after he won the two points was of the eyes of a champion. Ninth isn't it. Ninth's not on the podium. Ninth's not a win. Yes, it's a win for Marusha. It was a big deal. And it's deal. his first ever points. And it was a big deal, but it wasn't enough. He was hungry and wanting more. And that was just the picture of a champion that yeah. was forthcoming. And again, the grid has lost a potential world champion a champion of the sport, and an all-around really good guy. Now, I, I think in, in tribute to how well-respected uh, Jules was, besides all of the various tributes that are on all the drivers' cars and, and, and such like that this week, um, the pallbearers at the funeral included the likes of Fernando Alonso and Sebastian Vettel and Felipe Massa, among others. I mean brought everybody together and the FIA has announced uh well they released a, a website or, or excuse me they released a statement on their website earlier this week uh stating that uh Jean Todd president of the Federation Internationale de Automobile announced the car number 17 will be retired from the FIA Formula 1 World Championship in honor of Jules Bianchi as F1 car numbers are now personally chosen by each driver, the FIA believes it to be an appropriate gesture to retire Jules Bianchi's number 17. As a result, this number can no longer be used for a car competing in the FIA Formula One championship. And just like other sports that retire jerseys and numbers along the way, I think it's an appropriate honor to Jules. It is, although it does kind of make me wonder... What happens when somebody pushes that Senna's number get retired? What was Senna's number? 44. Oh, that's rough because that's Lewis's number. Yes. Now, granted, Senna didn't use that number in Formula One because then they didn't choose their numbers. Mm -hmm. However, my understanding is coming through the various formulas to get there, he used 44, and that's why Lewis chose 44. Well, and that's fine. I mean, it's an honor to Senna. If it wasn't his number in Formula One, they can't retire it. True. Um, you know, and yet it's Lewis's way of honoring Senna. So you can you can do with that as you wish. But yeah, you can't you can't retire a number that wasn't used. I guess is the way. That would be like I would like my soccer career's number, which I have no idea what it was, to be retired. So then for all you know, it's already been retired. Well, probably. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they retired it because nobody should ever have to play that badly again. Okay. So next up, we got some more information about next year's season. I mean, we've already started getting the tentative schedules and, and starts. But they've also announced now that there will only be two tests for all of 2016. 
that seems like too little. But keeping well, com- in mind that every race is a test as well. But compare that right now or, or to, to this year where we had three preseason tests and there are two we've already had two in-season tests and i believe there's at least one more that is it for the entire year is two tests wow let's also remember back what was it 2013 when we were having all the tire issues and everybody was screaming well you know part of this is because we're not allowed to do in-season tire testing right we're just making things worse here I don't quite understand the logic behind it. I can't even imagine that it's a money issue either. Um, well, that that is some of it. Money, money is always an issue because it costs money every time you run the car. But, of course, every time you run the car, you're learning about the car. Right. I'm not, I'm not sure I agree with this. Is that a, a firm and fast rule, or is that just a proposed rule at this point? No, that is the truth. Um, like I said, recent seasons when they've had – three or four uh, day postseason tests, all 10 teams, including Haas, will now only have eight days to prepare their cars before the season opening Grand Prix in Australia on April 3rd. Test number one will run from March 1st to the 4th, the second from the 15th to the 18th. Both of them will be at uh, Barcelona. So no Haraf. No Haraf. Well, they, they weren't at Haraf this year. They were at Barcelona as well, I believe. How they did the first one at Haraf. You may be right. Um, and again, this is the first time since 2011 there will be no in-season testing. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Now, one of the other things that, that makes this difficult is that a lot of times these in-season tests have been used – to put some prospects in the car and see how right. they can handle those prospects all lose that opportunity now so it's going to be more of what we're seeing over at lotus that fp1 may go to a prospect to see what happens and but there's we know a lot that of risk that has, in that we know that that has race day downsides because that's one testing session one practice session less that a driver's got to understand the track and the car and we have already determined and very well talked about the fact that the cars are new every time there's a race there's something different there's something about it that has changed because if you're not evolving forward you are going backwards well you know that that's one of the things that i think we should talk about right now is this weekend is the, the Hungarian Grand Prix. It is technically considered the midpoint of the season because it's the last before we go off onto the, the three-week break. And this is normally a natural decision point for many teams to decide whether or not they continue developing their current season car or they move on to next season. Right. But the dilemma is when we get back from the, the summer break – and head off to Spa, there's a fairly significant rule change. Right, because of the change in the starting uh, in, in the starting process and how the clutches work. Conceivably, that could throw a whole monkey wrench into how things have been going so far. Well, if Lewis can't figure out how to start, it's going to be a bad season for him at the very end of this. For Mercedes in general, I mean, com- compare that to what we saw in Silverstone, where both Mercedes got off to a poor start and 
it was we had a race on our hands. We did have a race on our hands. But you're right. This is about the time that people start put moving their technology, even those that are continuing to evolve this year's car to keep pace and take the learnings forward. They start moving more and more team members to looking to next year, mm-hmm. and they start going down to a skeleton crew that's building this year's car. And I think that that's going to have some long-term effects on those those teams that are already behind the cycle. Do they just put a pin in it and say, we're done this year, put all of our efforts to next year? Well, I think McLaren already has. But if you're somebody like Red Bull, you're somebody like Ferrari or Williams. You can't where, afford that. Yeah, especially when the the between third and fifth in the Constructors' Championship is only like 11 points right now. Right, and those are millions of euros that mm-hmm. are up for grabs between third and fifth. Now, did you hear that McLaren is going to finally, Honda, is allowing them to turn up the engine for the Hungarian Grand Prix? Yes, this is the first time that, uh, in in the entire season, this is the first time that the McLaren boys will get full use of the energy recovery system. Um, there, There have been concerns about reliability, but since this isn't a power circuit, they may not be able to get much out of it anyway. <laughs> well, we will see when we actually get to see the race. But I'm very excited to see if turning up the engine doesn't help where they fall. I mean, poor Button sitting and didn't get out of Q1 again this time around. Not that Alonso did all that much better. Well, he had to push his car to, and then realized he couldn't get much further. Um, but he was pushing his car in Q2, so he only qualified at the very back end of Q2. Um, now, for our special correspondence section, I believe you have something to say about Renault's engine and their product development, don't you? Yes, yes I do. Renault has announced that they're not upgrading the engine until October or the Russian GP. Really? They're not going to upgrade the engine at all? Nope. What do you think that's going to do to... Uh, Red Bull and Toro Rosso's chances of moving up in the Constructor Series? I think it might make it a bit harder for them because they kind of need Renault to make their engine much better, but they have a lot to do on their hands that they can't get all done done with in one time. The guy, it might take them a bit more, bit of time for them to get the upgrades done. Well, thank you very much for that Report from Red Bull's Renault engine manufacturing. You know, speaking of Renault, there has been a story floating around that a deal is possibly being put forward to either retain Renault or get them to field a works team again to give them a legacy payment if they come back. Oh, is that why they're thinking that they want a works team again for the legacy? Well, it's because that and Red Bull is possibly sniffing around elsewhere. There's also, well, you know what? Before we go any further, it is a perfect time to remember that we are squarely in. Silly season. It is certainly <laughs> upon us. 
So as we begin to do the three-card Monty of driver transfers around. Well, you know, while we're still talking about teams, okay. the other rumor that has come out is that, well, maybe this partnership with uh, Red Bull and Aston Martin is truly just for the road car. And because of the fact that it would require a Mercedes engine, there, there's talk that it is more likely to be an Aston Martin and either a Force India or a Williams tie-up. Interesting. Since, of course, both of them are already Williams teams. Mercedes teams. Or, excuse me, Mercedes teams. You're right. Force India is not a Williams yeah, team. Yeah, no. Yeah, that would make some decent sense. Um. Did you notice the conversation with Susie Perry and uh, Daniel Ricardo, and how she broached the subject as to what was going on with Red Bull? Apparently, Daniel Ricardo's got a pretty locked-in contract, and we yes. all know that contracts in F1 are really only subject to who has the money to buy them out. Mm-hmm. But he's got a pretty long-term deal with Red Bull, and as she put it, you have a long-term deal with a team who is whose owner says he's looking to get out of Formula One. Basically, he's going to pick up his toys and go home. Um, and an engine manufacturer that's oh, this shopping... this is with Ben Edwards. Was that Ben? Yeah, no. it was Ben Edwards. Um, and an engine manufacturer that's shopping for a different team. So what does that mean for you? <laughs> And basically, uh, Ricardo kind of gave the impression that his smile was just a little bit smaller. Yeah. Well, it, it definitely is. So that was, as part of that piece, Ben had the picture of Ricardo on the podium at last year's Hungarian Grand Prix. And the huge smile that was on his face and all that went with it. And they did a side-by-side. And, and, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Ricardo, who is definitely known for having a... Big smile and a smile all the time, whether or not he's winning or or losing. Um, his his smile has definitely shrunk a bit. Yeah, I don't think you can see his molars anymore. So let's talk about confirmed driver moves before we we go to the ongoing rumored driver moves. Okay, I know one. Okay, Sauber has confirmed both their drivers, but I put a giant asterisk with it because they did that last year and they wound yeah. up with. I thought it was three drivers confirmed, but I hate to say it, and I hate to say it this way, but apparently they confirmed four drivers. Jules Bianchi was supposed to drive for Sauber this year, and unfortunately he was in a coma, and so he couldn't sue them for you know a seat change. Well, I don't think it would have quite come to that, only because Bianchi would have shown up with Ferrari dollars and the engines and everything else. So, who so would have been I the don't think they would have off the team. My guess would have been that they would have kept um, Nasser because Nasser brings the Banco de Brazil money. Ah, so it would have been Marcus Erickson. Is my guess is what would have happened. Okay. So, but that kind of also ties into. The week's rumors. What are they? Well, for starters, the latest rumor to come out is that Valtteri is is going to Ferrari, which we have discussed last week. And Claire Williams was was asked about this, and she was actually in a bit of shock about the amount of detail that came out in the Italian 
press over this deal. Mm -hmm. She says that nothing has happened yet, nothing is finalized, nothing has been decided, nothing is going on. And when things are confirmed one way or the other, Williams will come out and tell everybody. However, the rumor that has come out this week is that with Valtteri going to Ferrari, that it would be Jensen Button to shift to Williams, which he was at as a young driver many years ago. Well, so was Massa when he came back. You know, he started off in a Williams car for a while. Yeah. So I think that they like to have return drivers, personally. Well, l- let me let me throw this scenario out there. Okay. Okay. I, I know that w- what I'm about to propose is very difficult, but I'm going to, because it, it can be painful. But Put yourself in Ron Dennis's shoes. I know it, it, it's Ouch. hard. It, it, it's hard. Ew, you might get some on you. Yeah, I know. No, he's very clean, remember. So, <laughs> <laughs> but put yourself in Ron Dennis's shoes. Here you have two world championship drivers, mm-hmm. one of which you know without a doubt that you're going to keep because it would make you look like a fool after bringing him back after all the bad blood and everything else. So you know you're going to keep one driver as difficult as he is to work with. Then you have another driver that it looked for sure was gone at the at the end of last year. That you have a confirmed contract to the end of this year on, and you have an option for next year. And you have two young drivers waiting in the wings, one of which has already been in Formula 1, and that was the one that you really wanted to have the seat, but you knew that the shareholders weren't going to let you go and keep him and let him drive. Hmm. So you've got that scenario in place. And then you have Williams. And the, and the rumors flying around, true or not, that they may be interested in Jensen Button. You have two possible directions that you could go since you have an option on his contract that you could exercise. Do you turn around and go, you know what? I didn't want you in the first place. I don't like you. I would much rather have Magnuson or Van Dorn in here. If Williams wants you, go. You're out of here. Yeah. Or do you turn around and go, you know, there's not a whole lot of sponsors on the side of our car. If I turn around and exercise this this uh, option on the contract, knowing that Williams wants you, and Williams just got paid, what eight potentially eight as much as eight million euros for their driver that they had locked up, maybe I can go and get Williams to give me money to buy you out of your the uh, option on your contract. That sounds definitely like something Ron Dennis would try to do. <laughs> But keep in mind that an option has to still be signed by both sides. Mm-hmm. So Jensen may not play that. Jensen has a role in whether or not he plays that game. It depends on where these discussions are, because that was one of the other things that was talked about this week in the run up in, to, to Hungary. It seems a little odd that Sauber right now, this week, before we go into the break, as we know all these discussions are starting, we're very quick to come out and confirm and sign their drivers for next year. Because one of the other rumored drivers, and we have said this is a bad idea so that we don't have a Felipe and Felipe, <laughs> but one of the drivers that was has been rumored 
to make the move to Williams was Felipe Nasser, again, who brings a lot of Banco de Brazil money with him. But if they are under signed contracts for next year, the only way they move is if the team gets money. Right. And we know Sauber needs money. Well, yeah, there's that. So, I mean, do you think, it's just a random side note, as things are becoming clearer in my mind, do you think that that's what uh, Monisha Kettleborn, Keltenborn, Keltenborn um, gambled on last year was that somebody would pick up Vandegaard? No, what 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 they were going for, what happened there, as much as they don't say it very loudly, is Vandegaard's money was going was a delayed payment. Okay. However. Erickson and Nasser both came to Sauber with the, you get money now. And that was the difference. It I was, was the difference w- between waiting for, for a payment for a couple of months and here's your check, put our driver in right this second. You can, ch- you can cash it right now. I was just wondering <clears throat> if, even with the delayed payment and things like that, if she wasn't trying to play the game of I've got a locked up driver but I'll let him go. They weren't shopping him though. Well that's that would be a problem. Anyway, so oh I did however read back to your Ron Dennis scenario. Okay. I did read a random rumor because Silly season is all rumors mm-hmm. that Mr. Fernando Alonso is talking about his next venture into motorsport away from Formula One. You know what? I say go. I do too. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this the other day is, is Fernando's comments, again, were, were quoted in an article about how he, he, doesn't find Formula One to be challenging and that the new rule set is boring and okay, go. Mm-hmm. So if Fernando's looking at, at other series, hit the road. <laughs> Make room for one of these other drivers that wants to be there. Yeah. So, I mean, that could pl- blow an entire hole in McLaren if Fernando is like, you know something, I'm done. You know, if he did that, then I could see McLaren holding on to Jensen for another year. I don't know. Because, well, I can't see McLaren running two young drivers. I can't see Honda letting them run two young drivers. I think they're going to want experience in there. Hmm. We'll have to wait and see. Yep. You know, there's still plenty of seats for 2016 that have the potential for being open. Um, it does look pretty clear that Kimmy is definitely going to be leaving. Um, and the the smart money says that he's not going to stay in the sport if Ferrari lets him go. So that leaves a seat at Ferrari. That leaves the potential for a seat at another team. We have two seats at Haas that we know are are going to be open for next year. 
And given Haas's connection with Ferrari, they'll probably pick up something, somebody out of the Ferrari Young Driver program. Well, that's the question because odds are one driver will come from the Young Driver program, but they've also said that they want one young driver and they want an experienced driver. Hmm. Now, they're not getting Vettel, so... <laughs> Yeah. And their driver program is stacked very tightly with talent. It's yeah, it's it's not like they don't have the wealth of talent there. So, it'll be interesting as we learn more. So again, as we go off into this weekend, we have the Hungarian Grand Prix. Yes. At the Hungaro Ring. Mhm. You're finally over mistaking it for the Hunger Games. I still think of Hunger Games every time I hear Hungaro Ring. Now, it free practice one was uh, a little interesting. We had a fairly dramatic crash by Sergio Perez. Uh, they, he had a rear suspension failure, which sent him into a wall, which then broke the front suspension, which flipped the entire car over. And as a testament to the safety, he walked away. Yeah. Now, as a result of that, however, Force India did not run either car in free practice two as they tried to figure out just what happened. It's believed that it's that a, a rear wishbone broke mm. and that caused the entire cascade. And it, the amazing piece about this, okay, so Friday morning we have the wreck. Team spends all day Friday afternoon, they pull both cars out of free practice too, trying to diagnose the issue, figure out what happened, the root cause, all of that stuff. They come up with a, they, they find a problem, and, and the root cause was apparently he spent more time on the rumble strips than normal, mm-hmm. and as a result, I believe the CEO of the team said they got unprecedented inputs. <laughs> it was... <laughs> But basically, he, he shook the crap out of the car. They, they recognized that that was the problem. They came up with a fix, manufactured a prototype, manufactured replacements for both cars, and had them on the cars in time for Saturday morning to go race. Well, for well, free to, practice, for free practice three. three. But they manufactured a prototype, tested it, and then put it on both cars for yeah. pre-practicing. Amazing timeline. I mean, if you really think about it. And the fact that they're in Hungary and they're manufacturing this stuff in England. I'm not completely sure. Sh- well, well, they're, they're doing the India, testing stuff in. They're doing the testing in England. And, and the initial manufacturing was in England. Some of the teams, I don't know if Force India is one of them. But some of the teams actually take with them full-scale 3D printing and manufacturing uh, equipment so that there is some level of manufacturing that they can do now trackside. Well, and that's incredible if you really think yeah. about it. The, I mean, the team builds out the design in the factory, tests it out, tries it out, sends it electronically to the trackside team who then manufactures it. I mean, yeah, and that may be what ultimately happened, but it was the fact that this is, I mean— Talk about connected world, to be able to forge something in one place and send it to the other, not necessarily by FedEx, but send yeah. it electronically in bits and bytes so that somebody in 
Hungary in Budapest can go make me a new wishbone. I mean, that's mm-hmm. incredible. So uh, we had qualifying on, on Saturday. It was a fairly uneventful qualifying. I thought it was pretty uneventful. It, it was, in many respects, about what you would expect to see, although there was an interesting moment in uh, Q2 with Fernando Alonso. <laughs> and uh, just before pit lane entry, the car shut off. Right. Completely and totally. Now... Fernando, in a level of determination we haven't seen in a very long time, attempted to push the car back to the pit. The problem was it's an uphill grade, which was a little challenging. It's uphill, and the rules state that the car must return to pit lane under its own power. No, the driver has to get the car. The driver can push. it, It sounds like the driver can push the car into the pit, and the pit the pit crew can meet the car once it crosses that pit lane line and assist at that point to get in there. And if they get the car running again, they can restart and he can go back out. However, where it was a problem was the marshals jumped out and assisted. And they really needed to because it was a bad spot for Fernando to be struggling outside of the car and for the car to be stuck on the track. Um, they really needed to go out there, but at that point, that negated that the possibility that he could have restarted the session. Yeah, and so his times were all thrown out for Q two, and he he didn't set a time. Oh, he didn't set a time. He didn't get so, a chance to even set a time. So he qualified in fifteenth. Mm-hmm. Sixteenth. Um, Fifteenth. Sixteenth, because he didn't set a time, which puts him next to Jensen, who was seventeenth, who did not make it into Q two. 15 cars go out in Q2. They drop five for the top 10 shootout in Q3. Okay. We can't look it up now because we haven't watched the rest of the race. I know. (laughs) But when all is said and done. I am sure somebody will leave us a comment. And and it would be okay if that comment started with, you idiots. (laughs) Whether you leave it on the website or the Facebook page. Leave it on the actual Facebook page, not in my feed, but on the actual Facebook page. And if it starts with, you idiots, that's fine. Well, I would think that it would probably start much more likely with, Michael, listen to Trisha, she's right. No, it has to start with, you idiots. Well, I'm not an idiot because I'm right. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, that was really all the interest and exciting that happened there. It was a Mercedes 1-2 with Lewis in first and, and Rosberg in second and Vettel in third. But... Botas was fourth. Wasn't he? Didn't we get... Yeah, no, uh, sorry, Daniel Ricciardo was fourth because that's yes. the same position he was in when he won it last year. Correct. Which means the, Red Bull is actually making some progress because they... Well, this is arguably a track that Red Bull can do fairly well at because, again, this is not a power track. Right. So but the extra downforce, the better handling that they have helps them a bit. By comparison, this is not a great track for Williams. 
Um, they've learned some things since Monaco, which was a disaster. But this track has frequently been called Monaco Without the Barriers because it is a very tight track. It is a turning track, and it is more about the handling. This is a high downforce track. This isn't a speed track. Right. And so. this is, uh, they call it also a karting track, that it rides like a kart track. Yes. Which is why apparently the drivers tend to love it. And it gets rated very high on the um, the races to go see, not just because being in the shadow of Budapest is a good experience, but also this is the track that they tend, the drivers tend to bring their friends and family to. Yes. You mentioned that last week. I'm reminding you. Okay. I remember now. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> All right, do we have anything else? Because I really want to see the race. I don't, and unfortunately, since we are using our new podcast setup, which apparently wasn't completely set up, I don't exactly know how long the show's been so far. <laughs> I think it's going to be a little bit of a shorter show this this week, but, you know, we can't always... We were over last week, so it averages out. Well, there is that risk after... You know, obviously, we'll talk about the race next week, but the week after that, there's a risk that we won't have a whole lot of talk, a whole lot to talk about as we go into the summer break. Which, as a reminder, this is a three-week break, but the series rules require that two out of those three weeks, the teams have to be shut down, completely shut down. The factories are shut down. Nobody is checking email. No work is done on the cars whatsoever. Now, the teams get to choose which two weeks they're shut down, and that's that's a, a, a good question. Do you shut down immediately following Hungary and open the week prior to Spa to get everything done, or do you go the other way around? Stay open immediately after Hungary and close the two weeks prior to Spa so you're starting everything up the week of Spa. See, I have what I think is the best option because it's the best of both worlds. I don't know if you can do what you're about to propose. I think you come home from Hungary, work another three days, shut down for 14 days, because I think the rule says you must be shut down for 14 days. Mm. Shut down for 14 days, which could give you four days before spa. And that's the combination that you have to play with to see if, because that would give you a little wind down from Hungary and a ramp up at spa. And, of course, going in the spot, we have that major rule change. So coming back from the break could be kind of interesting. And coming back from the break, we also get a lot of good, the flyaway races. It's a good push towards the end of the season um, with a lot of races being far away. But, as with everybody else who covers Formula One, they go on break. But we, we don't have be. to. You know, you would have thought that we would have scheduled our vacation around the break, but no, we didn't do that. So we will be finding things to, to blab about for the next three weeks, even if there's no Formula One stuff. We'll find something. I'm sure of it. There's like test lab stuff or something to talk about. There is. We have a few things in the test lab to talk about. So uh, with that, you know, just a reminder, you can find us over on Stitcher. Please subscribe to us over there. There's not a whole lot going on over there. But uh, find us over there. Leave us a review over on iTunes. If you're subscribing through iTunes, remember to friend us or like us over on Facebook over at The Bloke and a Bird. I'm, I think it's it's a like. It's not a friend over for the page. Yeah, you like the page on Facebook. Okay. You see how often I, I like pages nowadays. 
we'll work on your social media acumen next week. All righty. And uh, on that note, we'll call it a show. <laughs>